I recently switched out my winter wardrobe with my summer clothes. Do you do this too? Each time I have the opportunity to take stock of what I have, what I use, what I need to donate, and what gaps I'd like to fill. One of the funnest ways I've loved to fill those gaps is through Armoire, a clothing rental membership that can help you build the perfect summer wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five minute style quiz and select items from your online closet. The styles show up to your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new to you styles that help fill those wardrobe gaps without the major investment or commitment. For my first case from Armoire, I chose mostly summer dresses from Bowdoin, a brand I can't typically afford, and the chicest double-breasted black blazer from Paige that has honestly surprised me in its versatility. I have loved having more options in my summer wardrobe without the pressure of keeping them forever, and I've already been building out my online closet with Armoire, so I know what I want for my next case. For you expecting mamas, those working or style obsessed who want to switch out your wardrobe with quality pieces without the designer prices, check out this woman-owned company that has your style and your sustainability in mind. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash progress. That is armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash progress to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Hi, this is Monica Packer and you're listening to About Progress, where we are about progress made practical. I forgot about a very important interview last Friday, and I'm talking career-making important interview. Even though it was on my calendar and it was on my mind, even up until the morning of the interview, somehow the time came and went, and alongside of it, so did the opportunity. Why did I forget something that was so important? I was distracted. In short, I was busy doing what felt most urgent instead of what was most important. Distraction can be superficial in nature, like when we find ourselves looking at our phones instead of really listening to a loved one who's talking to us. But distraction can also go deep, like when our busy minds are running on overtime, tracking all of the moving parts of our lives. This very kind of distraction made me run a red light this morning. I kid you not. Distraction is a problem for all of us, but part of the problem is how easily we blame our lack of self-discipline. If you're saying, if I'm not to blame Monica, then who is? My answer lies in this episode with Nir Eyal. Nir will share how distraction has been a problem for all of humanity since the dawn of time, but how it has increased in certain ways during our day. He also shares what we can genuinely do about it. And guess what? He doesn't once say, blame yourself, you're the problem. I also love that he doesn't vilify technologies because it's just part of the many ways that we can get easily distracted. Now, while we can definitely do better about managing the distractions of our lives, knowing the science behind both why we get distracted and how our environments and even phones influence that distraction is paramount to us becoming what Nir calls indistractable. 
and as part of that, do the things we say we are going to do. Nir Eyal writes, consults, and teaches about the intersection of psychology, technology, and business. He calls it behavioral design. He helps companies design consumer behavior while educating individuals about behavior change and digital distraction. He's written two best-selling books, Hooked and Indistractable, the latter of which our conversation is based on today. You can find him on his website, nearandfar.com, and near there is spelled N-I-R, his first name. This episode originally aired in 2020 and has gone on to become one of the most downloaded episodes we've ever had, but it's been a long time and there's a lot of new people who are listening to the show. So I have freshened it up. We've shortened it too. It was a bit like cutting off my fingers, but everything you have in this episode is going to change so much for you, not just with what you do with the phone in your hand, but what you're doing internally that are leading to the major distractions you're facing in the first place. First up, a quick break for our sponsors. November is our seven-year anniversary month for the About Progress podcast. Since this podcast and its community are my favorite, I love to share my favorite things with you. I'm continuing my yearly favorite things giveaway, so all November long, I'll be showering this community with my favorite things, from my go-to soft cover notebook and gel pen to the best handheld vacuum that can work in the tiniest of spaces and more. To enter for the favorite things giveaway, I've made it as doable as possible. All you need to do is email me at hello at aboutprogress.com a screenshot of a recent podcast rating and review you've left on any podcast app, or a screenshot of you sharing the show, either personally like sending a text to a friend or publicly on social. The sharing submissions actually means you can qualify for my favorite things as many times as you share the show. Just email me those screenshots each time you do them to hello at aboutprogress.com. The favorite things gifts will be rolled out all month long, and I'll be drawing from the whole rolling bank of submissions. So the earlier you enter and the more you enter, the more likely you are to win. Again, I'm making this as doable and as fun as possible. Additionally, there's a second part of this giveaway. I'll also be giving three grand prize winners my very favorite thing to receive as a gift, cold hard cash to spend any way you want. Grand prize winners will receive $100 in cash each. You can automatically enter for the grand prizes by doing the same thing you did with part of the favorite things giveaway, just leaving a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. And did you see what I said there? Like you can enter to both parts of the giveaway just by doing that one thing. Grand prize winners will also be pulled from any reviews that have been left on Apple Podcasts and iTunes left anytime in 2023. So you might have already entered. I'll announce the grand prize winners the first week of December on my newsletter and on Instagram, just in time for your holiday shopping. I want to thank you for every listen, share, and review that you have left over the last seven years. And I hope for at least seven more to come. You are my favorite. So my name is Nir Eyal. I am a behavioral designer and I taught many years uh, at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and then later at the Hassel Platter Institute of Design. And I taught a class uh, which turned into a book around how to build habit forming products. The class was basically about the consumer psychology around how products are designed to get you hooked. And that's the title of my first book, Hooked. 
And the idea was not to benefit the video gaming companies and the social networks. They've known these techniques for decades. My idea was that we could democratize these techniques so that all sorts of products could be made better by making them more habit forming. A few years after I wrote Hooked, I found that I had a a new problem myself, which was that I had gotten hooked to some of these technologies that many of us find very distracting, whether it's our cell phones or the television, the news, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, right? We find that sometimes it's very difficult for us to do what we say we're going to do. And so for me, I think the seminal moment when I knew I had to reconsider my relationship with distraction came when I was with my daughter one afternoon and we had this, this, this beautiful day plan, just some quality day daughter time. And we had the book of activities that dad and daughters could play together, build a paper airplane, there was a crossword puzzle. And there was also this question. The question was, if you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want? And I remember the question verbatim, but I can't tell you what my daughter said, because in that moment, I got distracted. I started looking at my phone as opposed to being there with my daughter. And she Mm -hmm. got the message I was sending, which was whatever was on my phone was more important than she was. (laughs) She left the room. And by the time I looked up from my phone, she was gone. And she went to go play with some toy outside. And if I'm honest with you, it wasn't just with my daughter that I was distracted. I was distracted when I would sit down at my desk at work and I would say I was going to do one thing and I would do everything but. It would happen when I said I was going to exercise and I wouldn't. It would happen when I say I was going to eat right and I didn't. And so that's when I decided if I could have any superpower, the superpower I would most want would be the power to be indistractable. And that's why I say that I think becoming indistractable is the skill of the century. I don't know anybody who doesn't struggle (laughs) with distraction. And so I really wanted to conquer this for myself. I spent the past five years writing this book because I face this problem more than anybody. Like Mm -hmm. I've never had a lot of self-control and willpower. In fact, I used to be clinically obese and it was very much a similar struggle that I had with technology that I used to have with food. And so I wanted wanted a, a, a methodology to help me simply live out my values so that I could be the person I know I could be. That last phrase right there, that is our language here. That is the mission and the heart of what we do. It's being who you want to be. But first, I wanted to talk about distraction. There's a lot of fear around it. And I get it because it's so easy to fall into that pit of of distraction. Is it new? And uh, why do we fall for it so easily? Yeah, yeah. So I guess the best place to start is to really understand what that word means. And I didn't understand it when I first started studying this. And I I think the best way to understand what distraction is, is to understand what distraction is not. So most people would think, I used Mm -hmm. to think the opposite of distraction was focus. Yeah. But that's not true. That in fact, if you look at the opposite of the word, the opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction Mm -hmm. is traction. Yeah. That both words come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And you'll also also notice that both words end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. Mm-hmm. So traction, by definition, is any action that pulls you towards what you say you're going to do. Things that are in accordance with your values and help you be the kind of person you want to become. Mm-hmm. Those are acts of traction. The opposite of traction right there in the word, is distraction. Distraction is any action that pulls you away from what you plan to do, anything that is not in accordance with your values, anything that pulls Mm. you away from becoming the kind of person you want to become. 
So this yeah. isn't just semantics. This is actually really important because it, it, it gives us very two very important insights. Number one, any action can become a distraction. Let me give you a great example. I would sit down at my desk at work and I would say, okay, I've got that big project that I need to do, right? I've been, I, I have that thing that I've been procrastinating on. This morning, I am gonna do it. Nothing's gonna get in my way. I, I'm not gonna let myself get distracted. I'm just gonna work on that project. Here I go, I'm gonna get started right away. I'm gonna do it right now. <laughs> but first, let me just check some email real quick. Yeah. Right. Let me just do that one thing on my to-do list. That, Gotta uh, research. Kinda... Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, research. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. I used to do so much research. That's so important. <laughs> I gotta do that right now. And I would mm -hmm. fool myself okay. into prioritizing the easy tasks and the urgent tasks yeah. at the expense of the important tasks. And so this is why I say that any action can become a distraction because if it's not what you plan to do, it is a distraction by its very definition, even if it's productive, right? Oh, I got to check email. I got to do that research. I'm trying to be a good citizen. Let me just check the news real quick. If it's not what you plan to do, even if it feels productive, yeah. it's just as much of a distraction as playing a video game or whatever else uh, you think distracts people. And along those lines, just like anything can be a distraction, anything can be traction. So I think we hear a lot in the media these days about how technology is hijacking your brain, how it's addictive, how it's melting mm -hmm. everybody's mind. And that stuff is not true. It's not scientific. And it's not helpful because, look, we, we, we can't just stop using these tools, right? I'm not some university professor in ivory tower that says, oh, just stop using these tools. If you stop using these tools, many of us will get fired. And oh my goodness, talk about how thankful we should be to have these amazing technologies. And so the idea here is not to vilify these technologies. This, is, this stuff isn't going away and it doesn't need to go away. We shouldn't just stop using them. We should use them with intent. You see, the difference between traction and distraction is one word. That one word is forethought. Hmm. The time you plan to waste is not wasted time. If you want to go on Netflix or YouTube or Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is you want to do with your time. There's no moral hierarchy. Why is watching football on TV somehow morally superior to playing a video game? It's not. They're both pastimes. There's nothing wrong with either. As long as you use these tools on your schedule, not some media company schedule, not some tech company schedule, but your schedule. So indistractable is not about a digital detox and stop using your technology. No, it's silly. In fact, I tried that. I tried to, yeah. I got rid of my cell phone and I got myself <laughs> this flip phone from the 1990s yep. uh, with no internet connection, just make and receive calls. I also got myself this word processor that had no internet connection so that I, you know, nothing would distract me. And guess what? I still got distracted. <laughs> Even without the internet, I would say, oh, okay, now I'm going to work on this word processor with no internet connection. But, oh, you know what? There's that book that I've been meaning to, to look into. I should probably do some research in that book. Or, oh my goodness, my desk needs some tidying up. But let, let me just clean up my desk. Or look at the trash. I should probably take the trash right now. And I would still distract myself because here's yes. the thing. Distraction is nothing new. Mm -hmm. So 2,500 years before the internet, the yes. Greek philosopher Plato was complaining about, boy, isn't the world such a distracting place? Look at everybody <laughs> getting so distracted these days yeah. because of the technology of the written word. Like literally, they said that the written word was going to, in the words of Socrates, enfeeble men's minds. 
So we have always been blaming technology hmm. for doing stuff that we do to ourselves. And so what we need to do is realize that these things are tools. We don't have to stop using them. We just need to learn how to use them in a way that serves us as opposed to us serving them. Absolutely. I think that takes a lot of the shame and guilt and fear away that in, instead perpetuates that cycle, yeah. the all or nothing cycle that a lot of us can get into with technology. But at the same time, moving into forethought and intention, that takes practice too. And that takes some skills as well. So let's talk about that too. Before we talk about the exterior, though, stuff, because that's where people want to go first. They're like looking at Pinterest, how to get control of my Instagram obsession or addiction. And then they have a whole list of things to do. And still they find themselves back at it. Um, I just did that. I took a month off Instagram and it was awesome. And I've taken many breaks. I did that more for my mental health, not because Instagram's a devil. Yeah. But anyway, I still, like you said, found myself suddenly reading the news a lot more than I was before. In times past, there were a lot more Amazon packages that showed up to our house when I've taken a break. So let's still go to the heart of it. Where should people start instead of just going right to the tactics, although those are important, where should they start? Yeah, great question. Okay, so now that in your mind, you can say, okay, I've got traction and I have distraction and those are diametrically opposed. And in the center are our actions. Like our, our actions are neutral. It, it's based on what we decide to do that makes those actions traction or distraction. Anything that we Got plan it. to do with intent, that is traction. Everything else is hmm. distraction. Now, the next question is, well, what drives our actions? What hmm. prompts us to attraction or distraction? We have two triggers. We have what we call external triggers and we have what we call internal triggers. I'll get back to the internal triggers in a second. Okay. External triggers, these are the usual suspects the pings, the dings, the rings, anything in your outside environment that leads you towards traction or distraction. It's not that external triggers are always bad, right? If you sure. get a notification on your phone that says, oh, it's time for that call with your parents. It's time for the exercise you said you, would, or you were going to yeah. do. It's time to have lunch with your kids, whatever it is. If the external trigger is serving you, it's leading you towards traction. If it's leading you to, towards anything else, that's not what you said you would do. Like, for example, when I was with my daughter and my phone buzzed and I picked up my phone as opposed to being with someone I love very much, now that's a distraction because that's not what I plan to do with my time. Mm. So those are external triggers. And there's a lot we can do to do what I call hack back the external triggers. And we can get back to that in a minute. There's a lot of very practical techniques that we can use. But it turns out, what, you know, I think one of the biggest surprises for me Originally, I, I thought I was going to write a book about how to hack back all these external triggers and get rid of all these potential distractions that I just you know, made, thought was synonymous with all of these external triggers. And I didn't realize that the number one source of distraction, the root cause of more distractions than all the distractions that come from external triggers combined are not the things that are happening outside of us, but rather what is happening inside of us. Wow. That most distraction begins from within. And these are called internal triggers. What are internal triggers? Internal triggers are uncomfortable emotional states that we seek to escape from. Hmm. All procrastination, all distraction. It's not a character flaw. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken in any way. It's simply that you don't have the tools to deal with emotional discomfort in a healthier manner because all distraction and procrastination is spurred by a desire to escape discomfort, okay? <laughs> in fact, all human behavior 
all human behavior is spurred by a desire to escape discomfort. We call this the homeostatic response. So for example, if you go outside and it's cold, your brain says, oh, that's not comfortable. You should put on a coat. And when you come back inside, now it's too warm. The brain says, oh, that's not comfortable. Take it off. So those are physiological responses to discomfort and that guides our behavior. The same rule applies to our psychological reaction. So for example, what website do we visit when we're feeling lonely? Mm. Check Facebook, right? Yeah. Or Instagram, mm -hmm. some other social. When we're uncertain, where do we go? We Google it, of course. And what about when we're feeling bored? Oh my goodness, so many products to help deal with that uncomfortable sensation of boredom, right? Whether it's watching sports or Pinterest or stock prices, you, you name it, lots and lots of products cater to this internal trigger of boredom because we don't like to feel those things. So here's the thing, whether it's too much news, too much booze, too much football, too much Facebook, all distraction begins from a desire to escape discomfort. So if we don't deal with these internal triggers, first and foremost, yeah. this is the first step to becoming indistractable. If we don't deal with that first, none of the life hacks, None of the tips and tricks, none of the little productivity gurus advice will work unless we understand what is the internal trigger we are trying to escape from. Mm. And then how we deal with it in a healthier manner that leads us towards traction rather than distraction. So that's step one, mastering the internal triggers. Ironically, it's also very uncomfortable to face head on what that discomfort really is. A lot of people don't really want to spend the time to think like, oh, I'm I don't have like a problem with Instagram itself. I have a problem with my own security. Like, I don't really like myself very much. I don't like to be alone with my thoughts. And that's not really pleasant to have to face that. It's always about a desire to escape discomfort, but that can also be very empowering. Because instead of thinking that we are addicted and that it's hijacking our brains and there's nothing we can do about it, which is what the media tells you, because guess what? They're in the same business. Yeah. Whether you're watching CNN or Fox News or the New York Times, it doesn't matter. Every media company, guess what? They're in the same business as Facebook. They sell your attention to advertisers. And you know what gets your attention better than anything else in the world? Fear. Hmm. That's what they use. Right. I know. I wrote the book Hooked. I know exactly yeah. the cycle. Yeah. So when they use that fear of it's addicting you, it's hijacking your brains, what they're doing is they're teaching you what we call learned helplessness. Because when I'm addicted to something, I can't do anything about it. It's outside my control. It's biological. And that's not true. Now, some people are addicted. OK, just like with alcohol, alcohol is highly addictive, much more addictive than video games and Facebook. Right. But is everybody who has a glass of wine with dinner an alcoholic? Of course not. There are some people who are alcoholics and there's a number of reasons why, but it's single digit percentages. Yeah. So it's ridiculous to think that everybody is addicted to video games and social media. That's not true. We say that because it makes us feel better because then we don't have to do anything about it. But when we look at it realistically, that this isn't an addiction for the vast majority of us, you know what it is? It's a distraction. Yeah. But distraction we can do something about. But of course, oh man, Oh, I got to do something. That's no it fun. Takes work. Yeah, it takes work. It's easier to just pretend it's someone else's problem or it's not our fault. 
And it's not to say like we need to hate I ourselves. Say, yeah. Right, I, I want to say real quick, I'm so sorry to interrupt. It, it, this isn't your fault, okay? Yes. This is very important yeah. to understand. It is not your fault. You didn't invent Facebook. You <laughs> didn't invent Instagram. You didn't invent these things. They're not your fault. But you know what? A lot of things in life are not your fault, but they are still your responsibility. Because if we want the good aspects of these technologies, right, if we want the way they connect us to each other, if we want the fact that we get how many friends I would have no connection with because I've moved across the country and I had to yeah. say goodbye to them. I mean, these technologies are miracles. If you would have told me yes. when I was a kid that I would be talking to you right now, I'm in Singapore, you're in Utah, we're talking for free across Crazy. thousands of miles. It's amazing. It's yeah. science fiction. But if we want all those those benefits, the price of progress is like, what? We need to learn some new skills. And they're actually not that hard once, once we understand how to become indistract. Yeah, I appreciate that so much in the book too, just like the science behind this. I loved how you talked about how they moralized the radio coming out and the printing press, people blaming it for the destruction of the youth. So it was freeing in a way because then you can look at it a little bit differently, reframe it, but also take more action on it. One thing I loved in the book, this is from my memory, sorry. So this might not be word for word, but you can't say you're distracted unless you know what you're distracted from. Perfect. And that's going back to, data. did I? Okay. Yes. A few times in my life, quotes just stick right there near. And that was one of them. You know what? Can you go down this track with me for just a moment? I have a lot of listeners who are mothers and they feel like their life is hijacked in, in some ways because of the nature of their work of needing to be reactive to the needs around right. them. And that kind of is a, is a complicated um, environment. How can women, and especially the moms, get to these roots of distraction while also knowing that's part of the nature of their, their season right now is having to yeah. be more reactive? Absolutely. Number one, there are more of these internal triggers with more uncertainty and fear in the world. We feel uncomfortable more often, right? The world is suddenly a much scarier place and there's so much more uncertainty around what we should be doing every day that for many people, if they don't know how to deal with those internal triggers in a healthy way, they deal with it by looking for more distraction. And, and I understand, right? Like the days just flow together and where am I supposed to be and what am I supposed to do? Because that structure is gone. Hmm. Now, the good news is we can impose that structure for ourselves. Okay. We don't need the boss to tell us what to do. We're not, mm -hmm. we're not children, right? We're not babies. We can impose that structure. And I know many people resist this because they think, oh, my life is so chaotic. You don't understand. I'm a busy parent. I have so many demands on me. I need to be always available all the time, mm -hmm. 24 hours a day. And what they don't realize is that that is the fear of actually having to do what you say you're going to do expressing itself. Yeah. That's the fear that you may actually have to exercise because you said you wanted to exercise. It's the fear of I may actually sit down and read a book and tell my kid I can't talk to them right now because I said I was going to read a book. It's the fear of having to do the things that you yourself said you were going to do because it's so easy to say, well, this and this happened, okay? Yeah. And, and I get that. Lots of unforeseen things happen. So the difference between a distractible person and an indistractable person is that an indistractable person understands why they got distracted and they do something to fix it because there are only three reasons for every single distraction in the world. It's either an external trigger, an okay. internal trigger, or a planning problem. That's it. There are only three potential reasons. So a distractible person keeps 
doing the same things day after day, just like I used to do, complaining about getting distracted without actually fixing the problem. And every one of these problems is in fact fixable if it happens more than once, right? We do it. If it, an alien comes from outer space, that's unexpected. <laughs> Sitting in traffic or your kid interrupting you, that happens all the time. Yeah. <laughs> we can have that. So, so the idea here, and, and you, just to go back to what you said earlier, is that, that you cannot call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. And so one of the most well-studied techniques in the psychology community for doing what you said you're going to do, for achieving your goals, for making sure that you live with personal integrity and live according to your values is called making an implementation intention, which is just a very fancy way that psychologists use to describe planning out a calendar. It's as simple as that. Deciding in advance how you want to spend your time and how you want to spend your time needs to be based on your values. Now, what does that mean? What are values, right? I, I didn't actually know the definition of values. The definition of values are attributes of the person you want to become. Values are okay. attributes of the person you want to become. Wow. So it's about the promise you are going to make to yourself. So a lot of us, we, we, we talk the talk, right? We say we want to be good friends or uh, sons and daughters or good parents. But then when it comes to, is that time on our calendars? Not so much, right? We say we want to make time for prayer. We say we want to make time for meditation or, or physical health, right? But do we plan ahead? Is that time in our calendars? For most people, it isn't. We just, maybe some people put on a to-do list, which by the way, we can get into in a minute why to-do <laughs> lists are horrible for your yeah. personal productivity. Why it's a much better to have what we call a time box calendar because only when you know how you plan to spend your time can you say you got distracted. Because if you don't have a calendar with how you want to spend your time, everything is a distraction. You can't say you got distracted if you don't know what you got distracted from. Let's take a quick break for our sponsors. It's getting cold already and I am finding myself wearing multiple shoes a day. One pair to work out in the morning, another to walk my kids to school over the slick and frozen grass, and then a final pair that I wear with my normal outfit the rest of the day. I require a lot for my shoes, and even my cute shoes are no different. They need to be able to work well, be comfortable, and look stylish. Bionic Shoes fits that complicated bill with its Vio Motion technology. They began by revolutionizing medical orthotics, and today they continue to use that science to engineer shoes that leave you feeling confident and comfortable all day long. I got the Alfina's pair. It's an Oxford with a bit of a chunky sole, and I got them in black platinum leather. They're so beautiful. I've worn them to church, Costco, school pickup, and even on the local TV show. Uh, So it's working for all the things. Check out their fall styles from loafers to boots, and you can use the code PROGRESS at checkout for 15% off your entire order at www.bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only, Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. With this colder weather upon us, it is also dry and dull skin season, especially for me, I live in a desert and I already have super sensitive skin. And I have been finding out that my skin likes to show the weather changing long before my mind is even aware of it. One Skin has the must-have skincare that will make you say goodbye to those cold weather blues and hello to skin that's hydrated, healthy, and glowing 
all year round thanks to their revolutionary OS1 peptide. This proprietary peptide is scientifically proven to reduce aged, also known as senescent cells, a central source of skin aging. The scientists behind One Skin have shown that it can actually reverse the biological age of skin in their groundbreaking lab research. Make OS1 peptide your secret weapon to combat cold weather skin dryness and bring back the healthy, hydrated glow you thought was only reserved for summer days. I have One Skin's eye cream and face lotion, and I've loved both so much. I've been using them morning and night for about six to eight weeks. I like that they are light and moisturizing, but not greasy. And a little has gone a long way with both of the products. I also love their site's reviews, including pictures of women of all ages. It is so awesome to see unfiltered women and their results. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. OneSkin addresses skin health at the molecular level, targeting the root causes of aging so skin feels and appears younger. It's time to get started with your new face, eye, and body routine at a discounted rate today. Get 15% off with the code PROGRESS at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code PROGRESS. We only have one body, one skin, and only you can choose to make it better. Age healthy with OneSkin. The time boxing thing, I I think it works, but not in the way people are thinking it can, especially I am primarily a stay-at-home mom. So my time boxing might mean I have a three-hour time period where I know kids is my focus. Yeah. Kids. Yeah. That's it. And underneath that, there's a whole realm of to-dos or tasks I need to do, but that's my focus. And then I have another few hours with work. And then again, the tasks underneath that, it's more about rhythms than it is like- Beautiful. 8 to 8.30, this very specific, only check email. I think people get too rigid with what that can look like. I love that we're talking about some ways to hack back those triggers. So implementation intention, what are some other ways for people to start on this when they're like, I'm at the beginning, I'm at the baseline, where do I go? Yeah, so what we want to do is to turn our values into time. And the way we do that is we start with these these concentric circles of our values. And so a lot of people get hung up with this technique of, well, what are my values? Then maybe I should make a vision board. And what's my five-year plan? And don't do that, okay? Let's just start with tomorrow. And what we want to ask ourselves is, how would the person I want to become spend their time tomorrow? Again, values are added to the person you want to become. Yes. So how would the person I want to become spend their time tomorrow? So we start with the you domain. You are at the center of these three domains. If you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of other people. You can't make the world better. You have to take care of yourself first. So how much time would the person you want to become spend on themselves? Given all the other stuff you have to do, what is important to you? Do you have time in your calendar for prayer, meditation, reading, exercise, whatever it is that's important to you? It's not up to me or anyone else to tell you what your values should be. What I want to help you do is to make sure that you have those values on your calendar so that you follow through and actually do become the person you want to become. The next domain is your relationships. So as opposed to just saying, oh, yeah, I'll check in with my friends. I'll see how my parents are doing. What's up with my siblings? I want you to put that time in your calendar. We are going through a loneliness epidemic in this country because people don't reserve time for the important people in their lives. So get into that habit, no matter what it is that you want to do to live out your values. And again, I'm not saying you have to call your parents every week, but if something like that is important to you, checking in on your best friend, put that time in your calendar. And then the final domain is your work domain. So whether you're stay at home or whether you work in an office, 
you have basically two types of work. You have reactive work and you have reflective work. Hmm. And most people don't make any time for the reflective work. Their yeah. entire day is spent reacting to stuff, mm -hmm. reacting to emails, reacting to notifications, reacting to kids, right? They're constantly on call. And everybody's job does require some element of reactive work. I get that, right? If, if you work in an office, you are expected to pick up the phone from certain hours. If you are a stay-at-home parent, you're expected to react to what your kids need during certain hours. But don't make that your entire day. Have some time in your day reserved for thinking, for thinking. Mm -hmm. So many people go through their entire day without even a minute of reflective work. And you have got to be able to plan that time and protect it, keep it sacred, even if it's 30 minutes a day. Because remember, you know, we call it paying attention for a reason. We don't give attention, we pay attention. So just like we wouldn't, you know, stand on a street corner and pay with dollars and cents to whoever asks for it, right? Somebody comes by and says, give me, give me $100. You don't say, okay, sure, here you go. Because we're judicious about how we spend our money. We don't pay money to anybody who asks it. Yeah. We ask if we're getting something valuable in return. And yet when it comes to our time and our attention, mm -hmm. hey, bank's open. Come steal as much of it as you want. Oh, you, you, you need something? No problem. Here's my time and attention. Go ahead, take as much of it as you want. And so we need to be careful about how we spend our time because it is a very finite resource. I don't care how much money you have. You could be Bill Gates or, or Jeff Bezos and have billions of dollars in the bank. You still have the same 24 hours in a day as everybody else has. And so we have to be judicious about how we spend our time by turning our values into time. That's the second step to becoming indistractable. And we adjust this, by the way, you know, week to week, once we make our time box calendar, and I'll give you a link to a special tool I built uh, that you can put in the show notes to make this super easy. It's absolutely free. You don't sign up for anything. But the idea here is that is that once you start making this time box calendar, it's exactly as you say, it's not about every 15 minutes. It can be about big chunks of time. I do the same thing with my daughter. So tomorrow I have three hours with my daughter in the afternoon. Now, why is that important to plan? Here's the thing. Part of my values are to be a loving father, right? That's one of the attributes of the person I want to become. And so a loving father spends time with their kids. And if I don't plan that time, there is a risk that I will not make that time. I'll do something else because planning the three hours, I don't know what I'm going to do with my daughter. Maybe we'll go to the museum. Maybe we'll go to the park. Maybe we'll go fly. I don't know. But here's what I know we will not be doing. We will not be checking email. I will not be talking on the phone. I will not be distracted with something else because I know I have carved out that time to spend with my kid. And then for that three hours, I can be completely reactive. I can do whatever it is she wants to do because that time is carved out for her. Absolutely. I think that is key to what you're not going to do yep. during a time yep. is, is probably even more important than what you're saying you're going to do. And with that is that discomfort people have of making trade-offs. They have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable with trade-offs because you can't do That's all right. the things at all the times. Because with a to-do list, it's infinite. I just keep adding. I want this. I want to do that. I should do that. A calendar imposes a constraint. You, you can't yeah. go over 24 hours a day. It has to come at the expense of something, which is why I think making time box calendars are so much better than to-do lists. Yeah, I had a guest on. His name is Stephen Lawson, and he's the owner of Monk Manual. It's a great planner. But we use this time block system as part of it. But he says, time is finite, to-do lists are forever. That really is true, right? You, can, you will never be done. 
You'll never yes. be done with what's, and what's on your ever finish. Right. If, if you if you bought a phone at the store and then you brought it home and every day it crashed, right, the operating system of your phone crashed every single day. Wouldn't you go back to the store and say, hey, this phone isn't working. And yet our life operating system, when you keep a to do list every day, I don't know one person. I've never met anybody who finishes everything on their to do list. Their operating system crashes every day and we never consider, hey, maybe this system isn't working so well. Maybe I should find a different way to do things. Absolutely. I want to, again, redirect people to your book because there are so many more hacks, as you call them, to, to take back these triggers and to really work on things. It also gives you more possibility because I think a lot of people might be listening to this and think, oh, that doesn't work for me or, well, this is an excuse. And we want to honor you and whatever you're going through. But think in terms of possibility. There are possibilities for you. There are options. And this book gives a lot of them. But what I did want to talk about is how to deal with setbacks. I thought it was really profound how you did that. We live in a world of toxic positivity where a lot of thought leaders, especially in the self-development world, are just like, choose your day, choose your reality, like do things. And then they ignore the anxiety or the depression or the overwhelm and the missteps that come along the way and how to actually deal with that in a way that's going to still propel you forward instead of thinking, well, I didn't choose my reality today. I'm a piece of crap. No. How do you deal with setbacks? I love how you talk about this, Nir. Absolutely. Yeah. This, so this is incredibly important because we do see that there is a type of person who does tend to fall off the wagon, who doesn't uh, stick to this. And that person, it's interesting. It's not the kind of person who has low self-control or doesn't have enough willpower that, you know, even right now in the psychology community, we're even debating whether willpower is a real thing. In, in, in I know, sense. I read that part and I was like, oh yeah. man, I just, I just shared about that scientific study on my podcast <laughs> like a night. month ago, the, the one that you debunked. And I was like, oh no, but yes. That's a <laughs> yeah. And, and so and so it turns out the people who, who do fall off the wagon and don't get back on, you know, the defining trait is people who lack self-compassion. Yeah. People who are who are more likely to give themselves self-compassion are much more likely to accomplish their long-term goals. Because what, what happens is people tend to fall into these two buckets when it comes to distraction. I call them the blamers and okay. the shamers. The huh. blamers. They blame stuff outside themselves. Oh, it's Facebook. Oh, it's the world these days. It's, they blame everything outside themselves. But of course, that's futile because yep. you can't change that stuff, right? We can't hop into a time machine and go back in time. These things, this is, the world is the way it is. And then you have the shamers. The shamers, they don't complain about stuff outside themselves. They take it on the inside, right? They shame themselves. Oh, I'm there. I, I go again. I'm so lazy. I have a short attention span. Maybe there's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. They shame themselves. And of course, that doesn't work either. Because the more shame you feel, the more internal triggers you feel, and the more internal triggers you feel, the more likely you are to use more distraction to take yeah. your mind off of that uncomfortable emotional state. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't work either. So we don't want to be blamers. We don't want to be shamers. We want to be claimers. Claimers mm -hmm. claim responsibility, not for their urges and feelings. This is a really important point. People think they can control their urges and feelings. That's not true. You cannot control your urges and feelings any more than you control the urge to sneeze, right? If I have the urge to sneeze suddenly, I can't rewind that. I don't control the urge to sneeze. I already had the urge. All I can do is to choose how I respond 
to that urge, hence the term responsibility. So the responsible thing to do when I feel the urge to sneeze is to grab a handkerchief and cover my face so I don't sneeze all over everyone. That's how I can respond to that, that urge, that sensation. The same goes with our feelings. We can choose how we respond to boredom, loneliness, fatigue, stress, anxiety. Do we choose to escape that sensation? Do we choose to, to take our minds away from that sensation? Or can we actually use that uncomfortable sensation as rocket fuel to propel us towards traction rather than distraction? So the way we cultivate self-compassion, is actually very simple. The way we cultivate self-compassion is to talk to ourselves the way we would talk to a good friend. That's it. It's yeah. that easy. Hmm. And, and it sounds so simple, but you know, it, when I learned this, and, and this, this is backed by peer-reviewed studies, it, I, I realized that I would, I would be such a bully to myself. I mean, I would say things to myself that I would never say to a good friend, right? Yes. That when I, when I got distracted with my daughter, I'm the worst dad in the world. This was a bad idea. I, I'm such a horrible person. How could I let myself do this? And I would guilt myself and shame myself and I would never do that to a friend, right? I wouldn't talk to, my, to my, my good friend that way. I would be more compassionate. So remembering that simple rule of, of allowing yourself to talk to yourself the way you would talk to a good friend and realize that, you know, this is a step process, that there are four steps to becoming indistractable. And we can take tiny steps every day to implement these four techniques. We talked about two of them, mastering the internal triggers and making time for traction. But whether it's hacking back the external triggers, the third step around finding the, the external triggers in our environment and doing small things to hack those backs, to, to make sure they serve us as opposed to us serving them. And then the last technique that we didn't have time to talk much about is about preventing distraction with paths, where we're making promises with ourselves, with other people, even with our technology, believe it or yeah. not. It's yeah. a way that prevents us as a last line of defense, as the firewall from getting distracted to make these pre-commitments uh, with, with our devices, so to speak, and with ourselves. And it's using these four techniques in concert, which anybody can do. That's how we become indistractable. And speaking of that, how we can become indistractable, is there ever a point where you just like arrive? Where you're like, oh, I'm it. I'm, I'm fully indistractable. Like I'm there. Yeah. So it depends how you define indistractable. So the nice thing is I made up the word. Yeah. <laughs> so, I made up indistractable, so I can Why define not? it any way I want. So becoming indistractable doesn't mean you never get distracted. As I, as I said earlier, everybody gets distracted from time to time because something really unexpected happens. It's the first time you get a free pass. It's the second time that we have to do something about it. So becoming indistractable doesn't mean you never get distracted. It means you strive to do what you say you're going to do. You strive to live with personal integrity. So I still get distracted from time to time. But again, the idea is to learn from them so that we don't keep getting distracted again and again from them. So you never, you never are done. It's a process. It's almost like saying you can learn to be more creative, but you're never done being creative. You, you apply that skill to the various domains of your life. Absolutely. That's so much of what I love about what you do too, is this connection back to identity, really owning who we are and who we want to be. And that is power. I mean, that's where we can really start. So Nir, I have a, a final question for you. And it's, it, I just want to hear more of like the human of what you're working on right now. What are you trying to aspire in in your life and who you want to be? Yeah, so my, my dream with, with Indistractable, and that's all I'm working on right now. It took me five years to write this book. It's been a, a long personal journey. And the sure. reason it took me five years to write this book is because for the first three, I kept getting distracted. Right? Until I learned awesome. these techniques and I, 
I didn't, there wasn't a book at the time that taught me how to do this. I had to go find the research yes. and, and put together the methodology, try it on myself. I worked with you know, hundreds of clients and people over the years mm-hmm. who, who have used these techniques. So it took me a long time to figure out this methodology. And now that I have, it's, it's completely changed my life. Uh, I'm wow. 42 years old and I'm in the best shape physically that I've ever been because I actually work out when I say I will and I eat healthy because I said I will. I have better relationship with my wife. We've been married now for 18 years and Amazing. we've never been closer because I do what I say I'm going to do for her, right? So mm-hmm. she can depend upon me. With my daughter, I have a better relationship than ever because also it's, it's, it's much easier to have a close relationship when we are fully present with the people we love. And it's super important to me that I raise a child who is indistractable because if you think the world is distracting now, just wait a few years. Yeah. The world that our kids inherit is only going to be more distracted. So it's, mm. it's, it's incredibly important to teach our kids how to be indistractable themselves. So my goal is to really spread this message so that someday my dream is that I hear somebody use the word indistractable to describe themselves the way I describe myself without knowing that I came up with that term, right? Like if this becomes part of the conversation, this becomes part an identity, as you said, that's really the mission here. That's really what I'm working towards because when we have that moniker, when we have that identity, it actually helps us conform to our values. And, And this actually comes from the psychology of religion, that when someone calls themselves a devout Christian or even even a, a, a vegetarian, right? A, a vegetarian doesn't wake up in the morning and say, hmm, should I have a bacon sandwich for breakfast? They, they, they know yeah, that's they off limit because of who they are. Hmm. So it's the same way for becoming indistractable. That's why the book is, is called what it is, because that becomes our new moniker. That becomes our new identity that helps us become the people we want to be. Well, I'm grateful I get to be a small part of sharing your mission here. And the methodology too. It's just, it's so brilliant. I love the four-step process too. And I love how doable it is. So I just want to honor you and thank you so much. And I want to make sure we send people the right direction. So if they want to learn more first, I'd say pick up the book. We'll link that in the show notes. But what else can they do to connect with you better? Absolutely. Yeah. So my uh, blog is at nearandfar.com and near is spelled like my first name. So that's N-I-R and far.com. And there's actually a, a bonus material on the site that we actually couldn't fit into the final edition of the book. There's an 80 oh, yeah. page book that's completely complimentary. Anybody can get it. You don't have to buy the book. And that's at nearandfar.com. And also there's that schedule maker tool, which will walk you through exactly if you're interested in making a time box calendar. A lot of people think it's a lot of heavy lifting, maybe take you 20 minutes to make one. And I'll give the links in the, in the show notes. I'll, I'll tell it to you right now as well. It's nearandfar.com forward slash schedule hyphen maker here at far.com forward slash schedule hyphen maker totally free i just built the tool because i kept getting asked this question about well where do i get started with timebox calendar you don't have to sign up for anything not even your email it's just there for you brilliant all right near this is probably the most notes i've taken in an interview in a long time and thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to be on the show for writing this book and all you do and we're now your biggest fan so thank you oh i really appreciate it. i wish the listeners could see the book and i love you you sent me a picture of the book and i can see it there the all the oh, tabs yeah. and it's well loved nothing nothing makes me happier than to see someone actually apply this thank you so much
I hope this episode gave you the hug and kick at the pants you need to grow. I'll now share the progress pointers. These are the notes I took so you don't have to. And those on my newsletter, get them in a graphic form each week. You can sign up at aboutprogress.com slash newsletter. Number one, distraction is the opposite of traction. Both are action. The only difference between the two is foresight. Number two, triggers that drive action are both internal and external. While we tend to pay more attention to the external ones like technology, the internal triggers matter the most. They are largely about us avoiding discomfort. Number three, a lot of distractions are not your fault, but they're still your responsibility. An indistractable person understands why they are distracted and they do something about it. Number four, make an implementation intention. Decide in advance how you want to spend your time in alignment with your values, then turn your values into time. And number five, instead of being a blamer or a shamer, be a claimer. Strive to live in a space where you can respond, not react. Self-compassion is key to this path. Your do something challenge this week is to start with just noticing one time that you get distracted and identify the trigger that went along with that, whether it's internal or external. And as I was reviewing this episode, I got a little touchy. When we were talking about how women, primarily stay-at-home moms, also deal with a lot of reactive by nature responsibilities. And at first I was like, oh, I don't know if he's quite answering this, but I think he does get there. And I think he does in the book as well, even more so. It's not about ignoring the reactions or just thinking they're not going to happen. So you plan in advance and you won't have them. It's about recognizing that there are going to be times where we need to be more reactive and we're going to be distracted by our responsibilities, especially if they're people-based. But if we can identify when they happen a lot and think in advance about what we're going to do with those distractions, that's what matters the most. And this is where I'm just going to encourage you to do the best you can. Like Nir does say in this episode, it's not about being 100% indistractable in terms of you never get distracted. An indistractable person knows what they're going to do with it and is more intentional about their time. Wow, it was such a great time to be able to share this, both for me personally and I think widely as a community. I want to remind you about our giveaway going on this month in celebration of our seven-year anniversary of the podcast to automatically enter to win one of my favorite things and the grand prize winners of three, oh, sorry, three grand prize winners of $100 each. You can just leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, but if you've already done one in years prior and or you just want to share about the podcast, take a screenshot shot of reviews left on other podcast apps or you you sharing the show and email them to me at hello at aboutprogress.com. Thank you so much for listening. Now go and do something with what you learned today. So, oh, Nir, tell me your full name. Everyone pronounces my last name wrong. So I'm sure you have the same experience. So, so tell me your full name here while we. Yeah, it's Nir Al. Eyal. Okay. Right. It's funny. I, I looked up and it told me Eyal. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, yeah. It's very common. So as long as you get the first name right, that's the important part because yeah. I made my blog near and far. Yes. To, I saw that. To tell people that and you would not believe how many people. They still get it wrong. I, I actually gave a talk before COVID. I was giving a, a speech and the person who introduced me said, okay, now we're going to hear from a, an expert on habit formation. He runs a popular blog called Near and Far. Please welcome Nur. <laughs> oh, no.
The, the thing is, that person would be me. That's why I have my guests say their name <laughs> once I press record. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.